All right, here we are, another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, I am jamming with Alex, who is the Director of Wellness and Development for the Toronto Raptors. He joined the Raptors after serving as the Director of Clinical and Sports Psychology for the University of Arizona. He has worked with NCAA Division I schools in the Pac-12, ACC, Big 12, and Conference USA. He has earned a doctoral degree in counseling psychology with a specialization in sport and performance psychology from the University of North Texas, and also has a master's in business administration. It's a lot of education, my man. Looking forward to having this chat. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I mean, you know my history or where where I've lived. So selfishly, it's it's fun to chat with someone with the organization that like stole the the energy and the vibe of Toronto in a good way last year when when the Raptors won the championship. So first of all, congrats on the new role and thanks for making some time. Oh, my pleasure, and and thank you very much. It's an exciting time to be joining such a dynamic organization and. Happy to be here in the uh, Great White North, as they say. Exactly. Welcome to Canada. You're, you're just, at least we're, we're kind of going through a bit of a November heat wave, which uh, has been nice, but uh, we promise you'll have some of that cold and snow coming soon. <laughs> uh, can't say I'm looking forward to it, but I'm yeah, ready for it. Exactly. That's all you could do. Uh, before we, Alex, before we dive into your story and, you know, everything you're working on and all of that, I, I just love to know who the person is behind the mic right now. So, you know, who, who is Alex? What, you know, how would you define yourself as, uh, as a human today? Gosh, um, it's a great question. I think for me, I I see myself probably first and foremost as a, a husband, um, you know, son, brother. Um, you know, some of the sort of critical relationships that have shaped the way I move through the world and, and the way I think about myself. Uh, and probably closely after that, if I start to unpack kind of my professional identity, I think of myself as a high performer. Um, yeah. I think of myself as as someone who's sort of committed to my own personal development and professional development. Um, and then I think, you know, several attributes I like about myself. I think I'm fairly caring and compassionate. Um, try to be honest and, and lead with integrity. Um, and I think that sums me up quite nicely. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you. And uh, as you probably know, because I know you've listened to a few episodes of the show, but I, I mean, I asked that question just to avoid job titles and all of that, which we get into, obviously, as the conversation goes. But it's nice to start grounded with uh, the person behind the mic right now. And obviously that evolves, right? But you you shared some really great characteristics that I feel like uh, I could feel are the kind of the foundational makeup of of you and, and having had a few chats as well before uh, they resonate, at least for, uh, on my side. I'm curious to know a little bit more about just this passion for performance and personal development and all of that. I mean, it seems obvious given your education and the work that you're in, but before you did all of that, like, where's all that coming from? Did you, did you grow up like that? Or was there a moment in your life that triggered this desire to be in this type of a field? Yeah, I think, um, you know, probably several things that have contributed to it for me. 
um, I grew up with two very loving and, and very high achieving parents um, who instilled at me in me at a pretty young age um, the importance of, of working hard and challenging myself. Um, and if I think back to sort of critical moments in my life, um, playing sports or being involved in different clubs, I think a message that rang pretty loudly for me from both parents was really um, to, to push myself and to never give up too quickly. Um, and they mm. did such a good job balancing, um, allowing me to move on from something I, I genuinely lost interest in um, and not allowing me to move on too quickly from things when they were difficult um, or I just wasn't sure I was getting it right away and maybe felt pulled to sort of back off. Um, yeah. And I think that probably served as the foundation for a lot of things for me moving forward, um, you know, got really into sports um, and sports, I think is great for things like competitiveness, um, challenging yourself and, and then really wanted to get into coaching um, because I saw coaching as sort of the, the natural extension of high performance and competitiveness um, when I had lost the, the physical gifts to keep competing at progressively higher levels. Um, and then I think from there, it sort of evolved into really trying to find environments that are conducive to high performance um, and environments that are conducive to personal growth and personal development. Um, and I think sports generally offers a lot of that. Um, but I think then different pockets in sports organizations or the culture of sport allow for different ways to sort of extend yourself and grow. Um, and landing in sports psychology, I think, allowed me to find that niche that was a better fit for who I am as a person and the ways I wanted to grow. Um, sure. But it all really, I think, starts way back with both of my folks. Yeah. Well, I mean, virtual high fives to the parents because that's, uh, as a dad myself with a, a four-year-old, I mean, that's all I can try to emulate. That's a, a beautiful upbringing. Thanks for sharing the backstory. And, and there, there is one thing that you mentioned in that, that, yeah, you had said that uh, your parents had, it seemed like they had that like sweet spot or that intuition to know when to, you know, you know, let you go from something that maybe, like you said, you're not interested in, whether it's a sport or a project or whatever, or, you know, actually keep pushing as they know that there's, there's still something there, which obviously I'd imagine there's a lot of parallels to a lot of the work that you do now. That's a hard thing to do. I, like, have you... Have you come up with that uh, on on your own right now? Like when to push, when to pull back to say, you know what, uh, I've given it my all. Now's the time to stop and, and pivot to something else. So that's a tough one. It, it certainly is. And I, I think it's probably still a, a place of growth. It's a growth edge for me, um, both personally. For all and, of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Personally and in the work I do, um, you know, I think, the, the delicate balance of challenge and support is really important. Um, but admittedly, I've certainly found myself struggling with the supporting myself side much more than the challenging myself side. Um, and, and so I've really had to find ways to build in structures that allow me to do the supporting of myself that I might not be so naturally inclined to do um, if sort of left to my own devices without structuring things on my own. And, yeah. and I think that does, you know, carry over a little bit into the ways I think about um, things professionally. 
um, you know, there's, I sort of see myself as a person who pushes and who challenges um, and thinks that that leads to some really positive growth and development, but there's always sort of having to check myself and, and make sure I'm thinking through, you know, is this push or challenge what this person needs right now? Um, or is this just sort of the way I naturally think about what we're dealing with? And sure. I maybe need to check myself and bring in some of that support. Well, and the other thing that comes to mind, like, because I hear this all the time, and I'm, I play a victim to this as well sometimes, but it's just often, especially in, in the sporting or physical world of things, like we don't we don't even come close to uh, being getting to the level physically where our or sorry getting to the level where our where our mind can push us even further right like there's like the, the physical breakdown usually happens first whether sport or running or like it doesn't matter what it is right it's usually the mind that tells us to okay that's it i'm tired it's that's as far as i can go um i'm curious like through your path like what are some things that have that you've either you you've personally or you've seen in in the industry work to just continually push, but not, you know, not to the point where you're like, you're breaking your legs and things like that, obviously, but knowing that boundary, right? Yeah. um, It's hard, right? It's hard to know. um, And I think you're exactly right. You know, oftentimes there are several signals um, about maybe easing up or or quitting or giving up or whatever you want to call it that come, um, you know, and, and sort of then becomes the mental pushing yourself and challenging yourself and really evaluating that choice point of, of, is that the right decision? And I think a few things have been really influential in the ways I, I think about that. Um, I think one is, you know, listening to, um, just the way that people are starting to evolve their thinking around performance and starting to think of these things that maybe we would have, you know, like historically sleep is a, a great example. Historically, you know, sleep depriving yourself essentially was really thought of as a mark of being tough, um, or, or, you know, and, and I heard, um, Dr. Michael Grandner, who's at the university of Arizona at one point say to me something along the lines of, you know, the biggest change we can make around sleep is thinking of sleep as an investment and a light bulb just went off for me. Like, Holy smokes. of, Of course. Right. If you can start to think about, if I can start to think about, taking care of myself, supporting myself, supporting people as an investment in the ultimate outcome instead of something that conflicts with or rubs against that sort of outcome I'm hoping for. Um, it really led to this big paradigm shift for me in, in thinking about, um, you know, how to push through those moments um, because everything started to sort of wrap around this idea that like it doesn't always have to be forward and through, like sometimes you can take a step back and evaluate the big picture and go around or go over. Um, and, and that makes a big difference. And and then I think, you know, continuing to hear from other high performers, um, across domains sort of think through, um, the ways that they've navigated those challenges, I think has just allowed me to come up with uh, what I would say is a slightly more sophisticated working model than I had as a kid um, in terms <laughs> yeah, of, of how I think about pushing myself or pushing those boundaries. Um, yeah. But I, I do think there is a time and a place to um, just keep pushing um, and, yeah. and to, to challenge yourself. And, and I think it's all context and circumstance dependent, but 
Um, I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. Um, and sure. It's something that took me a long time to appreciate. So what are some of the things that you are investing in, uh, you know, as we speak when it comes to your performance and health and kind of the whole ecosystem? Um, yeah, I've tried really hard to kind of bookend my days with things that I think support both the challenge and supporting. So every morning, um, I, I start my morning with uh, right now I'm doing Duolingo to learn Spanish, um, but try to challenge myself to work on language, whether it's writing or reading, um, hmm. meditation, yoga, and, and exercise have all been critical for me. Um, you know, as, as constant things, I'm just making sure happen, um, you know, preferably early in the day to get started. But, um, if I can't do that, making sure they're woven in throughout the day, just as a way to support myself um, and to make sure I'm making progress on something that's important to me to start the day. Um, you know, so it's an easy way to sort of get some wins and, and do the challenging of myself and stretch myself, uh, but feel like I've accomplished something to, to start the day. And then at the end of the day, I sort of book in that with a, a journaling exercise. Um, and I, it's fairly simple for me. Um, but it's something that has allowed me to, you know, constantly monitor my own growth, um, where I can continue to get better. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, um, it, for me, it makes it so much more approachable, um, to engage in that kind of activity. Um, so those are the, some of the ways. Yeah. So Alex, is it, is it for the journaling, is it a reflection of the day or is it like a gratitude list or something or, yeah, it's a, it's an ever expanding <laughs> template uh, or entry okay. right now. But um, you know, I, in there, I have um, sort of like a balanced critique of my day. So I've okay. got you know one thing I want to keep doing, one thing I want to do differently, um, one thing I learned, um, and then some sort of basic space for gratitude and reflection. Um, whether it's just notes about the day or interesting insights I stumbled on. And then things I'm grateful for. Um, but more recently, I also added in um, something around kind of things that bring me joy. And I sort of differentiated that from gratitude in the sense of, you know, being an active participant in creating the joy in my life um, Ooh, versus like being the receiver of, of something where that's sort of my framework for gratitude a little bit. Um, and then I, I've challenged myself to find one or two things I have done well. Um, because I think it's for me personally, as a person who's constantly challenging, um, it's, it's easy to take for granted the things I have done well, um, in search of things I can do better. And so having that doing well, build some of that confidence up. I love that active participation piece about just, you know, being in the joy or being part of creating that joy. That's a great, really great reframe, I think, in just a uh, gratitude practice in general. Because I don't know, if, I don't know about you. I mean, you you obviously study quite a bit in in all of this, but from just anecdote, uh, anecdotally on my side, and in talking about gratitude practices for for years now, I can see when people start to drop. Right, they start to get repetitive with the practice, and it's like, yeah, I'm grateful for my health, my my home, and my family, and my friends. Like, it, it, you know, things start to repeat yep. pretty quick. And even even a lot of the big gratitude journals and apps and stuff that I I follow, you can see it in their newsletters, like that they're trying to break people out of that and get a little bit more specific. And this, you know, your approach is just great because it's 
A, I think it, it makes it different, but but B, to your point, like you're you're in it, like you're participating in that in that whole process. It's great. How how did you come up? Like where did you come up with that? Um, yeah, so it's a kind of a combination of everything you're talking about. So um I personally had that experience you just kind of laid out with gratitude journaling. Um and then I had to ask myself if that was just me not working hard enough, you know, to really yeah. be vulnerable about the things that I'm, so I'm grateful for. Um, and, and I don't know if that's an experience you'd, you've had. I'd, I'd love to get totally. your take on it. But it's, if for me, it does feel vulnerable to sort of get really into the gratitude in like a very deep way that brings about a significant emotion. And it became an easier thing to just sort of check the box and it was a place where I had to push myself and challenge myself because if I didn't do that, it didn't really feel valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I listened to uh, option B, uh, which is an Adam Grant and I think Cheryl Sandberg book um, yeah. where Cheryl did a majority of the writing and, and um, was just a really moving story from her uh, and, and the way that she you know, talked about her experiences, the experiences of her friends and colleagues Um but she actually, I don't know if she learned it from someone else. I can't recall off the top of my head, but it was something she said in the book about sort of being the agent of her own meaning. Um, and that was something that really resonated for me. And then she talked about joy specifically. Um, and I think it's just, for me, it's always been easy to just sort of, I don't know, like find the contentedness, but not find the joy and so then to, to say, like, there's more that needs to happen here, right? There's more work to do here um, to really bring about the joy I'm seeking was a sort of good moment for me. And as soon as I heard that in her book, it was like, okay, that, that has to go in there. Um, yeah, that that sure. has to be a place to, to challenge myself. Yeah, I, I'm definitely, I'm going to lift that one from you if, uh, if you don't mind and include that in my practice. Because I think it's like you hear this often, right? That if, especially related to happiness and joy, obviously, um, like if you can create that from within, like that is essentially the true definition of, of happiness and, and joy versus seeking things or experiences, you know, whether good or bad. Like if you can somewhat, you know, cultivate that inside and especially on a daily basis, I mean, man, uh, that's a hell of a life to live like that. Right. For, for sure. And, and before we transition, if we do from gratitude journaling, I I don't want to let you off the hook. I want to hear, you know, how have you navigated maybe some of those, um, sticking points in your own gratitude practice or what did that look like for you? Yeah, totally. No, no, I appreciate you, uh, holding me accountable on this one. Um, kind of like you, like I noticed just going to the defaults or the, maybe not default, but just like the bigger obvious gratitude things happening. Right. And I just like, I started feeling it myself. It was just like, I was, it's almost like I was writing things down and that was kind of it. Like I wasn't getting really anything out of that other than pen to paper or I was typing probably at that time as well. And I can't remember what tipped me off, but somewhere, some sort of book or reading flipped me into this idea of, well, let's get really granular with this. Like the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm typing on, you know, probably like a thousand dollar laptop that a lot of people in the world 
have never even used, right? Like we don't think about those things. Yep. And just like getting really detailed with, with, with those aspects. And like, if I, I often start the day with, um, with a cup of coffee and as that's brewing, you know, I'm reading, uh, Ryan Holiday's daily stoic kind of just a passage from the day. And again, just like, wow, you know, my, like my eyes work and I have access to this knowledge and, you know, I have a mind that is, is thirsty for this and just like be grateful for those, those details. And I don't know, it just, it feels more personal, uh, to me and it just keeps me really grounded or at least starts off the day in that, in that way. Yeah. I, I it's, it's fascinating to hear you talk about it. Cause I think I, I resonate a lot with what you're saying and sort of trying to find the, the more granular, the, the things I might overlook, right? Like where does my food come from? Um, and, and then I'm grateful yeah. for the work that's gone into that. And my experience around that was that that was, um, it was really moving, but it also felt really vulnerable. And I'm, I'm curious if you had any of that experience or just what that feeling was like for you when you sort of made that shift. Yeah, it's interesting because I remember when you you mentioned the vulnerability piece uh, at the beginning of this this topic, and it caught me off guard because I was trying to. I don't know. Maybe I need to go deeper. I don't know if I felt that. Um, other than the sense, it's funny when you you talked about just like you know where my food came from. I had that experience first with uh, coffee beans, and you know I think it was Robin Sharma. I read some a blog post or something from him and and he just outlined just like really think about you know where those beans came from and what they had to endure to get into your cup essentially and you know we often don't know a lot of that and as soon as you start doing some research and all of a sudden like oh maybe i'm not going to source these beans because they're right. you know they're not sourced in in the most ethical way and it's like it starts I think it starts adding different perspective or, or definitely gives you knowledge. So that's probably like, I don't know, that's what I'm, I'm leaning towards or where my yeah. mind's going on a vulnerable piece of, of this. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't think it's gone further than that at this point. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. I think everyone's experience around how they've used gratitude and, and some of the, yeah. these other journaling techniques, I think is, is insightful and, and, you know, I think for me, maybe the vulnerability piece is, is wrapped up in some of the environment I live in, right? Um, you know, sports and, and growing up in sports um, doesn't necessarily lend itself always to these sort of like deeper reflections. Um, sure. And, and okay, so yeah. I think that's a, that's a piece I always have to like push against with myself a little bit. Um, yeah. It's just to sort of get there um, to, to whatever extent I can. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I can tell you the place I use it the most or definitely, you know, at the point when we were uh, on my side shutting down our, our journaling app and that business was essentially being uh, pulled off. And that, that was probably the, the hardest period of my life at that point or transition and gratitude, gratitude and the present moment. Like, I think that that saved me in the sense of going into a, you know, deep, depression and, and, and God wow. knows whatever else, because it was just, you know, you lose, or at least for me, I was losing a sense of, of hope that, you sure. know, things were going to get better. And then like, what's next this first time in my life, I didn't really have a plan. Uh, in my mind was so clouded that it was, it was hard to even begin to take the steps to make a plan, but it was the, 
it was the gratitude practice to stop the narrative or the looping stories of all this kind of doom and gloom and anxiety to just, whoa, just pull you right out of there and, and reset the mood as much as possible to at least sure. even like, okay, go, go for a walk and kind of reset. But it's always, I'm always amazed. I know Tony Robbins says this all the, like, you can't be upset and grateful at the same time. And that's, um, man, that was a, that was a huge one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear you found those ways to sort of take care of yourself and support yourself and, um, you know, make sense why it's sticking with you. Right. Um, it, it helped you through, uh, such a critical period. Yeah. Well, it, it ironic, it, the right, ironic thing about the whole scenario is just that it was all there, right? Like you're, you're a living example of what it's happening right now. I mean, I, I just defaulted back to all of these interviews and like the content and the tips and the practices, they're all there. It was just to get step outside of the noise long enough to realize that and then like, you know, step into it. So yeah, wild. I mean, the whole thing we call life and the journey. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, Alex, I mean, I, I f- kind of forgot really, we just really jumped into the practices, which has been fantastic. And I'm sure we'll circle back, but like, I'd love to know, a, just how you, you know, what's your story? How did you get to where you're at right now? Because, you know, for, I imagine many of the listeners right now, like this is, you you hear a lot about the athletes all the time, but like the behind the scenes, like you're at the top of uh, a sporting profession. Like that's not the easiest feat to get to where you're at. So I'd love to know your, uh, a little bit more about your path. Sure. And uh, so, sorry to derail us a little bit. I was, I was no. intrigued by the journaling, but I think we'll, we'll circle back. Um, yeah. So like I shared, I, um, you know, grew up in sports and, and loved being around it. But, um, you know, right around the start of high school, I just sort of like burnt out. I was playing a lot of soccer and, and just sort of burnt out on soccer and started to explore different sports. And so I played, you know, American football. I played Australian rules football. I dabbled in basketball for maybe like two weeks. Um, and then really found myself drawn toward coaching. Um, and so at the time I was, you know, toward the end of my high school career. Um, and I did my senior project as a high school student on coaching. And I just wanted to understand, you know, what, what goes into coaching, what makes a coach successful. And, And the project was great because it sort of was a structured way for me to start to unpack some of these characteristics or dynamics I was interested in. Um, and so, you know, finished that project and applied for undergrad. And as I was applying, I reached out to every, um, school I applied to and just said, you know, Hey, is there an opportunity for me to work with your football program? Um, and I think like two or three schools even bothered to to respond. And one of those schools was university of Arizona and it just, just happened to be my, my hometown. And so, um, it was sort of a, a great opportunity to go back and was fortunate enough to, work with that program. And, and, you know, that was kind of the, the jumping off point for me, um, spent some time doing some recruiting and working with our different coaches and then graduated and took a coaching job at the university of Rhode Island, which is sort of sandwiched between the very highest levels of college football. And then some of the lower division two division three levels. Um, and, and it was just a, a wonderful opportunity for me to sort of like get my feet wet and dive in. Um, and then I, so I did, um, and then I, I had sort of that 
existential crisis you were describing around your app. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I found, found uh, those things that I was really looking for. They definitely existed, but it was sort of like the curtain was pulled back and, and maybe it wasn't all I thought it was going to be. And maybe I wasn't in, situated in a way that I thought I wanted to be. So I, you know, I struggled with, um, and I was, I was still pretty young at the time, but I struggled with some of the sort of, um, the teaching aspect of coaching. I struggled mm. some, uh, with the tension between just the environment of coaching generally at that time and football. And it's still this way, largely in most places I know is it's just a grind. Um, and it, you know, whether I wanted to grind or not, like I just sort of got to this point where I didn't feel good. Um, and it wasn't that yeah. I didn't like the work I was doing, but I just didn't feel like I could be my best. And and for me, you know, when I'm not feeling like I'm progressing or if I don't feel like I'm learning something like those are really hard moments, but this was sort of unique because I was learning and I did feel like I was progressing. I just felt like it wasn't sustainable. Um, okay. and so I sort of pivoted and, and went through this, like, I don't know what's next phase. Um, and, you know, very fortunately, and, and, you know, I, a lot of where I've ended up is, is, um, hard work, but a good, good chunk of where I've ended up is luck and timing too. Um, sure. and, and, uh, I don't want to downplay that at all. And so I, I got really fortunate. I connected with a sports psychologist back at the University of Arizona named Scott Goldman. And, and he was just kind enough to sort of bring me in and, and show me the ropes a little bit and, and talk with me about like, what is this field all about? And, and for me, it, it just, some light bulbs went off. Like, oh, I get to still be in a dynamic environment. I really like, I get to help people. I get to work with people. I get to think through complex challenges, but I might not have to have you know, that same sort of degree of, um, just sort of grinded out, um, that coaching okay. did. And little did I know, I mean, there's certainly still some of that grinded out, um, in sports psychology, but I, I think yeah. what sports psychology showed me is, um, it, it's just a different set of problems to solve. And it's a set of problems that, um, are personally more invigorating for me. Right. And so, it doesn't feel like a grind. It feels more like giving life to something when I'm working on those hard problems. Um, yeah. Well, it's just like there, putting putting the reps in, I guess, right? Like you, you don't know until you, you, you can like research or, or make as many assumptions as, as you want, but until you're in it, I mean, you, you don't know. Right. So oh, I think it's just hundred percent, right? hundred percent. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's there's there's no substitute for real world experience and i learned that firsthand and i'm I'm, you know i know we've talked about gratitude but i am sincerely grateful for you know that opportunity university of rhode island and i got to do a couple internships in the nfl and and all of those experiences really helped me sort of unpack and then you know reassemble and understand where i fit best Um, sure and i I think that's what makes Yeah. And that's what makes, you know, sports exciting. And that's what makes people really excellent at what they do is, you know, for the coach who, who is sort of grinding from my perspective, I don't know that it feels like a grind to them all the time. Sometimes I'm sure, but sometimes it's like, wow, this is a set of problems or a thing I can really sort of sink my teeth into and be excited about. 
Um, and I think for me, that's just what I was looking for. Totally. So what were you, so it sounds like that conversation, um, was is Scott, right? Scott Goldman. Was that yeah. the name? Yeah. It sounds like that was obviously a, a pretty big point or pivot point or, uh, perspective shift, if you will, in just, you know, what's possible in this role. But as you were going through that, were, were there any other practices that you were helping or that were helping you navigate this? Cause you mentioned you're essentially kind of like unpacking these elements and, and repackaging them in a way that, that better suited, you know, what you're looking for, which I feel like a lot of us go through. So if there's anything <laughs> that helped. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. I, I mean, the simple one is, is therapy, right? Um, you know, just yeah, having yeah, an opportunity to, to share and, and kind of bounce some ideas off people and, um, you know, I think therapy gets kind of an interesting rap for how people see it in the media or whatever. But um, to me, there's like, it's really hard to substitute just an objective outside party and in, in listening yeah. to what you're thinking through and helping reframe or repurpose some of your ideas in a way that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, you know, training as a psychologist um, there's a lot of supervision work, you know, where you're paired up with a, a more experienced licensed professional and they sort of help you navigate your early work as a therapist. And, and I found those experiences to be, you know, super formative and, and helpful. And then, um, you know, probably the, the big one that, that changed a lot for me was meditation. Um, okay. you know, I found myself first year of graduate school, um, just sort of like, I, I, almost on autopilot in a way. Um, I don't know if that's exactly how I would describe it, but just sort of like, you know, plugging along and going through the motions, but not necessarily, you know, feeling like I was living every moment or living every day to the fullest mm -hmm. and um, stumbled into to mindfulness. Um, and it was like, you know, a game changer for me. Um, and, and that has really led to a lot of sort of self-reflection and, kind of insight building and, and, and consciousness raising and all these other things that have, you know, facilitated that unpacking and repurposing. Love it. No, I appreciate the detail. Cause I mean, everyone's different, obviously listening and, you know, it could be just that one thing that you share that, you know, hits home for someone on the other side that, yeah, you know what, sure. I, I relate to that. I can try that. I, I mean, it's happened for me several times. So that's why I asked these more detailed questions or, or, push to go into the, into the weeds of that essentially. Um, on the mindfulness front, I'd love to know just whether it's, you know, your new role right now with, with the Raptors, but just in sports psychology in general and teams, like how far are we in terms of athletes adopting these principles, you know, part of their regular routines and, and for their performance and whatnot. Cause I, you know, it's, it's obviously starting to come a little bit more mainstream and whatnot and sports usually, especially when it comes to things like visualization and, and meditation and whatnot and, and all of that usually have been kind of at the forefront of this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like where, where are things at, where, like, where are we heading, I guess, like, is there anything that we can pick up <laughs> for ourselves to implement on a daily basis? Yeah. What's your general observations? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for meditation specifically, I think it's definitely picking up steam right now. Um, you know, you've seen, you know, several 
famous athletes sort of come out and talk about their different mental health challenges um, and how they've sort of navigated some of them. But there's also been this sort of like huge rise in popularity of meditation apps um, and partnerships, you know, like LeBron James has a partnership with Calm and the NBA did a partnership with Headspace. And so there's just this leveraging from a brand perspective of, of sports. But I think um, the research is also starting to catch up. And I think that that's going to sort of help turn the corner, if you will. um, And some really interesting research about, you know, mindfulness being sort of a precursor, to flow um, and flow being this kind of state that everyone's reaching for and it's hard to get to, but you know, if you can give yourself a Mm -hmm. chance to to get there, why not? Um, And then I think as we think about, you know, even what's happening on college campuses across um, the States and Canada and just sort of things like concepts around resilience, you know, I think a lot of that stuff is still closely tied to this mindfulness practice and thinking about, um, you know, how do we kind of observe our thoughts? How do we be present with what we feel? And how do we use that as information to help guide us toward our values? And how do we respond effectively in the moment to things? I think people are just really starting to see that as a sort of foundational skill set that can be be really helpful. Um, And and I think it's just going to continue to grow. I think, um, you know, a lot of professional sports is, is made up of, you know, former student athletes. And, um, you know, as the college space sort of morphs and changes and has increased support around mental health, the the pro scene is, is following, you know, really closely behind, um, and is, is working to make sure that players feel supported in that space. And I think as that continues to happen, um, there will continue to be kind of more and more awareness around, what do these skills, um, mental skills or performance skills mean for performance on the court, but also performance in life? Um, and I think that's sort of the, the next phase. And, you know, in terms of, of other things that, that people are working on and, or skills they're developing, I think you hit on a bunch of them, but, um, you know, training things like focus or working on things like, um, you know, communication skills, confidence, public speaking, all these things that maybe we don't necessarily think about as being directly related to being a professional athlete, but kind of come packaged with the territory. Um, if you think about getting in front of a microphone or having a camera on you all the time, I think those are some of the unique places too, where some of these other skills, not just mindfulness, but that imagery you talked about or goal setting or self-talk, you know, all of those things can start to factor in and, and play a part. And, you know, for me, I just don't think you can separate the performer and the person. And so, like if you're spending, you know, half of practice thinking about that thing you said in your interview, you know, that's so not true. super effective. Um, yeah. And so how do we help you kind of, you know, mindfully detach from that, let go. And then, so that's maybe a mindfulness portion, but then there's also the refocusing, the re-engaging and, you know, kind of getting yourself back into it. So it's a long-winded answer, but those are some of the dimensions I'm thinking about. Yeah, no, that was great. I mean, in my apologies, I essentially hit you with a rapid fire, like three part question. <laughs> the, 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 the number one thing not to do as a podcast host. So, so I appreciate you uh, giving a longer answer. It's funny, as soon as you said, you know, just like, you know, the, like the press, essentially the press interviews and, and whatnot, my mind went right to that. I'm like, I never even thought about that. But it's got to be, yeah, it's got to be weighing on someone if... 
A, you said something that whatever, you, it didn't come out the, the way you wanted to, or you're like dreading, you know, going, knowing that you're going to have to go and do that interview at the end of the game or at the end of practice. Like it's, there's so many parallels to that in just in, in regular life, right? It's not just sport, obviously. Oh, for, for sure. I mean, I think of almost anyone I know can think of, um, you know, the meeting they were in where they felt like they sounded silly or they said yeah. the wrong thing to their boss or, um, you know, wish they didn't respond to their kid in a particular way. And, and to me, all the skills are, are sort of similar, right? We might apply them in different contexts and we might have more or less practice with a particular skill, but, um, you know, a lot of the challenges are sort of, I think, kind of just human in nature. It's, it's not, you know, yeah. necessarily about being a professional athlete or a CEO or um, a great mom or dad. It's just being a human and, and these are the challenges we face. Yeah, just, yeah, totally. I had interviewed, a, uh, this is a long time ago, I think even before this was a podcast and there were written interviews, it, I um, had a great chat with the, at the time he was the vice president of, of operations for all of Lego. Uh, now I think he's, he's oh, HR, awesome. but yeah. And it was just, he, it was this, this example he gave was, you know, running from meeting to meeting essentially, which a lot of people are familiar with, especially in, in the corporate world. And, and he just had this mindfulness practice of, Anytime he he would be entering into the next meeting, the last three steps before going into that meeting, he'd be he'd be conscious of. And there was this conscious, I'm letting go of the last conversation, the topic, whatever happened, yeah, and I'm yeah. coming in fully present. You know, and it's it just it really like it's so simple to do if you can remember to do it and and form a habit in doing that. But man, like you could use, it just really reminded me of what you're saying on just all of these different mindfulness practices that they can help in all areas of life, essentially be more present. Right. I think that's what it boils down to is being really present in what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And, and I think, you know, I had a similar kind of practice, like I would do that when I got home from work, you know, sit in yeah. my car for a minute and just kind of breathe and get ready to be present at home. And you know, one of the things I've found that's been been an interesting sort of evolution for myself and my practice has been, I think the being present is a great foundation. And now I'm starting to figure out how do I sort of take the next step? Because, you know, like I, I use coming home from work as an example, if I'm just wiped at the end of the day, you know, it's not necessarily fair to my partner that I'm not coming in with good energy and, and ready to, to give her as much attention and, and care and, and value as I just put on at work. And so how do I now use these other performance skills? Um, you know, whether it's self-talk or imagery or even, you know, setting a goal for myself and challenging myself um, or, you know, building in different focal cues throughout the day. How do I use those things to then take me not out of the present moment, but really sort of elevate the present moment to the performance state I need and I think yeah. that's kind of that next step. You talk about the next frontier. Like I think, I think mindfulness is there and it's part of the kind of like the lexicon and it's part of what we do. And then I think it's now that we have that awareness, now that we have that presence, how do we actively generate the performance state that we need for whatever performance we're going into in our life, whether that's, you know, showing up home from work and you need to cook dinner or you have to go play a basketball game. That is, a, I mean, we have to talk a little bit more about that because, sure. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, 
what comes to mind when you're saying that it's like kind of like energy management in in some capacity. I mean, I think anyone listening and myself included can resonate with getting to the end of the day and feeling drained. And to your point, you know, like even if you're, you're not coming home and you have a partner, I mean, I mean, you kind of even owe it to yourself to, to show up with, you know, some good energy for whatever you need that night, for example. Right. It's, it's have you, I mean, on my side, I, just to start the conversation off, I mean, I, I have found doing, trying to get in some breath work kind of end of day to just reset and, and like oxygenate the whole body essentially has been helpful, but I'd, I'd love to hear uh, if there's any things that's been helpful for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've tried to, I would say make my approach sort of multidimensional because like, like everyone I have, just like moments when I don't feel like it, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't Shocking, feel like you're human <laughs> doing whatever those, those things are. Yeah. And so yeah. I think to me, it's kind of like there's sort of foundation building, which is that self-awareness, that presence. But then there's this sort of, like I talked about with the, the things that bring me joy, this sort of like active um, cultivation of a sense of like thriving um, in my life and, and sort of like being optimistic, believing in myself then there's this sort of like dimension of, you know, I think evaluating my performances, sort of planning for the things I'm going to do, reflecting on them, and then figuring out how I can fine tune my performance in the moment. There's sort of this, like the self-care piece I talked about that I, I think about as sort of this like energy management, but also this sort of general life management strategy, like just how do I sleep well? How do I recover well? How do I learn to listen to my body uh, how do I learn to give myself permission or self-compassion when there's that struggle um, or give myself a kick in, in the butt if I need that? Um, and then yeah. I think, you know, the the leveraging of social connection, right? It just like can't be understated for me. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of it circles around that kind of energy management like you're talking about. And then it's this sort of rounding out these other, like almost diversifying my life portfolio a little bit, rounding out these other dimensions so that um, if at any point one sort of tips out of balance, I know I can lean on these other dimensions to bring me yeah. back to where I need to go. And and relationships are a huge, huge part of that for me. I love it. I mean, I, I, I get the sense it's, you know, it's essentially, you know, making sure you have the reflection that you need in your life and whatever those practices look like for yourself. And then, cause you know, without the awareness, it's hard to course correct or make any types of changes. So once you have that though, then it's really about just keeping the, the whole system in tune and everyone's system has different elements or practices and habits and components and just understanding which ones work for you in multiple settings and making sure those things are in tune, right? Like sleep, like meditation and all of that. And, and then it doesn't matter what area of life it is, whether it's, you know, on the court or off the court, you know, you can rely on that stuff, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. The, the, the less work we have to do in the moment to be ready to go, the more we can just sort of stay ready to go, whatever that means. I, I think the better yeah. off we are. That is good. I like that. Last question for you, sir. All said and done, work aside, everything going on in the world, what, you know, what makes you smile each day? Oh, well, right now in Toronto, it's the sun uh, yeah. <laughs> and the, the, the nice weather. Um, it's a, it's a great question. I, I mean, 
you know, first and foremost, of, of course, my, my partner and, and then my dog. Um, yeah. And then I think, you know, there is a sense for me of, of waking up every day and, and feeling like um, I get to work on some interesting problems and, and work with incredibly talented people, both in terms of the organization and the players. Um, but I, I'm also, you know, really thankful to, to work somewhere and be somewhere where um, there's a really high value placed on like having other interests and thinking about other things and, and really developing yeah. holistic people. Um, and so it, you know, it makes me smile to be in an organization that values that and, and allows me to sort of explore those other dimensions and, and be involved in, you know, social justice initiatives or um, think through, you know, other challenges just facing the world right now um, and, and use whatever, you know, small platform I might have personally to, to help make a difference um, is what keeps me going. I love it. I mean, I've got a big smile on my face. So thank you, Alex, so much for making the time to have this conversation. I, you know, personally want to thank you. I, I'm walking away with a lot of different perspective shifts and different things to try and and look at scenarios and slightly different angles and whatnot. So thank you for that. And on behalf of everyone listening as well, I mean, just, you know, thanks for, for putting in the time for your own kind of self care and having that conversation with, uh, with Scott and kind of unpacking your life and repacking it up. Cause you know, that's why we're chatting. So uh, a huge thanks. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs>